for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly. This is Caroline. And tonight we're here to bring you the 12th and 13th episodes of the third season of NBC's This Is Us. The first recap and analysis is for Songbird Road Part 2. And then the second one, just immediately to follow, don't even have to press uh, fast forward or anything like that. It'll just be there, is for Our Little Island Girl, the Beth-centric episode. So if you're listening to us in real time, we had a strange little break here because we had a scheduled State of the, the Union address that was supposed to bump This Is Us one week, and then that actually got rescheduled, and so it bumped it a second week. So I feel like all of us are way off, and we thought it would be best if we just caught up real quick with these two episodes and got us all back on the same schedule. So let's get going with Songbird Road Part Two, which if you guys remember, was focusing on our newly found Uncle Nicky. Uncle Nicky. We'll get to him, but we're going to start with the background uh, parts of the episode, the flashback portions of the episode. This is around Valentine's Day. The kids are supposed to make Valentine's, but Kevin's not down for that. He's got to do this baseball card thing, which I, uh, character wise, I didn't really expect Kevin to be a collector given his other his other interests you know he's the football player so all the kids that i've ever met that are collectors they're not the doers you know what i mean they're not interesting okay so they tend to be people who maybe enjoy sports from that more observational level yes okay that makes sense to me that makes sense that's just my own experience that's very interesting we are very different people in this collecting background i collect almost nothing um very 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 little and even things that i like at certain periods of time i'm okay with letting go of later when i'm like sort of out of that phase i'm not a collector i'm a phaser maybe is that more accurate i kind of like like something for a period of time and then I kind of move on from it. On the flip, I would say you are very much a collector. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I have all different kinds of passions that uh, they come and go, but they never completely go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they definitely collect here for sure. That's positive. Well, I thought what was interesting is that the setup was basically that if you guys remember, Jack had gone to visit Nikki. And in the meantime, we had this kind of like, you know, what were the kids and Rebecca up to? And Rebecca decides to go ahead and take Kevin to go get his baseball card signed. This is very reminiscent to me of any time you and I have gone to like a con and you have something that you want to get something signed and that excitement and urgency. And I'm sort of more the Rebecca in the scenario where I'm like, I don't really know exactly what's going on here. I am happy to be a part of the excitement, um, but I'm not necessarily going to know who everybody is and whatever, but I'm like real jazzed up to be a part of the fun. And I totally want like the snacks at the con and whatnot, (laughs) but I don't always know who everyone is. So did you feel like this is very familiar, this dynamic of like the kiddo who knows everything. And then your mom who's like, what exactly are we doing here? Oh, for sure. I mean, every convention you go to, you see the the kid who's in that exact same same situation, leading his parents around like, come on, you're going too goddamn slow. <laughs> Just like that. That's exactly what it's like, actually. So what did you feel about this reveal? This was, in my opinion, meant to set up something that we hadn't really seen in Kevin to this degree, which is the idea that when he applies himself, he can reach a level of thoughtfulness and caring about another person that goes way beyond what what he has consistently shown in, in adulthood so far. 
And I find this all very interesting because, you know, we've had a lot of flashbacks. This is season three. Kevin, of all of the characters, has been the one that you and I have struggled with the most because he doesn't tend to have that softer side. You know, he'll have an argument with Randall or something, and then we have to sort of like tease out like the better moments. Now, that's, of course, not always, not at, not at all. But when he's little, I'm saying. I, I know what you're saying. It's it's like, it, but if you if you go back and think there's have been moments, you know, like when well, he orders Zoe the pillowcase that they forgot. Yeah. Well, he doesn't know why he's getting it. He just like, knows that she that she needs it. I'm thinking of know? when they're littler, but but oh, the teenage one thing, Kevin is, is is No, even littler, this like ten year old Kevin. Then the the you know this thing that I'm actually remembering that I'm I'm gonna a little bit correct myself, amend it and say uh, the Halloween thing. Where, you know, Kate and the boy and then right. he, he ends up, Kevin gives all the candy to get yeah. the boy to do stuff. So, I mean, so he does have a thoughtfulness streak in him. I think it was interesting to apply it to almost a stranger. That seems like more of the connection for me in this one, that this was like a baseball player who he had no real, you know, information on as like a person. He just tried to read up about him much like Uncle Nicky. He just tried to research Uncle Nicky and figure him out, but he didn't really know the person. And so that's how I feel like the parallel was like really strong there. And yet another real life sports person brought into the This Is Us uh, canon. Very interesting. I wonder why and, they do that. I, I guess just to anchor it in, in the us is being, you know, a more understandable and relatable us. You know, it's not just a huxtable us. It's uh, the Pearsons. They're, they're, they're rooted in our world. So let's talk about how Kevin and Rebecca and Nikki then play out in the now, how that this little, you know, foundation that they laid for us makes us understand better how Kevin is relating to Nikki. Well, John Smiley did not prepare him for Nikki. Uh, Nikki is a much harder sell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would say so. First, well, first off, it's, it's that Kevin is left, uh, at the beginning of the episode, the, the other two, uh, sibs are like, you know what? I got to get back to IRL. You know, it's. Um, and what do we think about that? I mean, is this realistic? Most especially Randall, who is like Captain. Side project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and, he, and I mean, he had the whole background with William. I mean, does this make a lot of sense to you that these two would be so hands off? No, be- especially given that they just drove, what do they say, like four or six hours out of their way to go get here. And then they're like, okay, well, we've met you. You're you're unpleasant, but we got to go. I just didn't think it fit, fit with their characters. Like, I mean, we had such a longstanding pattern with Randall of being so willing, whether it's Deja or William or, you know, a friend's daughter or what. It doesn't even matter who these people are. He like is constantly picking up strays and like doing whatever he can to make sure that they are being taken care of. It just felt like, hmm, I don't really understand. And Kate, I mean, I can see maybe possibly the little bit more confusion with her. We can get into her story in a minute, but I I, I don't, Randall especially is just like, hmm, it's almost like suit me. It's almost like this episode was designed to be a Kevin story. They had, they had certain goals that they wanted to have Kevin make, and they needed to keep Kate and Randall kind of busy, but not really adding a whole lot. So they had certain things that they wanted to do that they needed to get in place. So it's almost like the the things fell into place. What needed to happen? Okay, we needed to be a Kevin and Rebecca story. Bang bang. So that means we got to dismiss Randall and Kate. So that means they got to go right away. Right. And so certain story elements just snap into place, and it's like. Um, it's really to serve a larger goal. And in some 
ways, it's okay. You know, it's fine. But in other ways, like uh, specifically the the, the weird house scene later on with uh, Kate and Randall, um, talk about that later, but, uh, just remind me that I said it was weird and I'll tell <laughs> you why when we get there. Will do. Okay. So were you surprised that Nikki was willing to go to the VA center? A little. I mean, it seems a little like he's like, well, you made the effort. So I'll play along for a little while is, is what I got out of him. Do you think that they did the concept of what veterans are grappling with um, like justice and like sort of having him sort of glance around the room and sort of show different aged people, different activities going on. Do you feel like that they were being pretty realistic or or did they sort of miss the mark at all? I wish I could give you a really insightful answer. I'm not a vet. I just watch vets on TV and I see that they used very standard vet standby stuff, PTSD, alcoholism, problems dealing with, with civilian life, things like this. They gave Nikki like all of him, all of those different problems. It's it's sad, but I and I can't but I just can't say if it's totally like an accurate totally depiction. accurate. I mean it, it works for TV and movies. Right. So, so it's consistent. It's right? consistent. It's yeah. not like I don't feel like they had like a fresh take on no. veterans and stuff, which I do kind of feel like when we dealt with the Vietnam War portion, I do feel like, you know, by putting us in the village and putting us with the soldiers interacting with the, the civilians and stuff, I do kind of feel like that was a different look that maybe some audience members had ever thought about. But I was surprised as actually to not really feel like I really got like a very fresh take, you know, or or a modernized take in any way, really, of the VA centers, you know? They just, I think the goal was to make it familiar enough that you understood what was going on without needing to tell a lot. Intermingled with all this Kevin and his one-day passion project, which is Uncle Nicky, is Rebecca having shown up. She's in a very interesting position, you know, for, for the last, what, 40 years of her life, maybe a little bit more. She's been the world's leading authority on Jack Pearson. Yeah, absolutely. And now there's there's uh, someone else out there that knows some stuff. And she, like any other human in that position, is not going to just be like, well, let's not talk about it. <laughs> right? right. And I mean, so how did you read her? Did you read it like, I mean, because some people like the kids in many ways were like excited to find Uncle Nicky. Like, this is so great. We're going to find out another layer about our like family and history and maybe even learn some things about dad. But I felt like Rebecca had a different reaction. The kids approached it and kids, you know, 38, 39 year old, whatever they are now, approached it a little like kids would. Uh, with some naivete, you know, in their in their attitude about Uncle Nicky and what they can hope to get out of him, whereas Rebecca, I think, went into it with her eyes wide open and willing to be super vulnerable. This guy could could really hurt me. Like a lot, of, like as I was watching the show and and live tweeting, I noticed that a lot of viewers were upset. I guess that they're perception and and the perceived legacy of Jack Pearson had been tainted by this episode in one way or another. Okay. Or definitely the combination of Songbird part, you know, one and two. That's a question we'll revisit in a little bit. But Rebecca willingly, bravely put herself in a position to have her own, you know, sense of Jack potentially damaged. Well, and I think even acknowledging Nikki's existence and being willing to confront that reality already was like incredibly brave and already like did 
bust who Jack was because, you know, he didn't have to say anything at all for, for the world to sort of be upside down. right? Yeah. Or at least have like a big fat crack in the middle of it. And, and I mean, when you think about how protective that Jack has always been of the family, if, if you're Rebecca, you got to be thinking like, how bad must this guy be? You know, I got to kind of see this for myself that Jack would have gone through such hoops to not only just not have us interact with him, but lie and say he was dead and everything. You know, how bad is this? Think about how bad she knew his father was on some level, right? Now, I don't guess that Jack ever shared the full what his father was really like with his mom and everything, but enough that that Rebecca would get the idea that he was so abusive. And yet she knew he was alive. And knew he existed, you know, and all that stuff. So how bad must a brother be that you're even going to fake his death? That's got to be really unnerving. And can you trust what he says? Like, could you go there knowing that your husband never wanted you to meet him? Could you listen to anything he says and really take it honestly, sincerely? You'd, you'd go in with your guard up probably, but, have, you know, just talking to Nikki for five minutes, you'd, you'd pretty much get the idea that I don't think he's... He's going to lie about anything. He has nothing to lose. Yeah. I mean, he was super dismissive of Kevin and like all of his caring towards him. And, you know, I felt good about Rebecca's honest response about like, like, look, Kevin's a lot more vulnerable than you think. One of the things that I saw on the after show that I wanted to bring up was that, you know, we know Kevin is a recovering alcoholic. There's so many different little things that he's like not doing that it was brought up in the after show. Like, for instance, he is in a very serious relationship with Zoe. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to jump into a serious relationship. He's not really taking care of himself. He's putting himself out there to take care of another person. Again, not really what you're supposed to be doing Mm. in the steps, you know, like in many ways, the outcome of this episode was sort of revealed little by little to us over the last couple of episodes in terms of like, he's not really recovering. He's not really taking care of himself and doing the things that you would need to do. He's really throwing himself into a relationship and into other people and into sort of like projects that really allow him to kind of avoid dealing with his own issues. I hadn't realized that. That's a good, that's a, that's a, that's something that a lot of people is probably going to miss, actually. You got to watch those after shows, you guys, because it was real interesting. I mean, they had the actor who plays Kevin sitting there and explaining like how really um, thin his rehab part had really been. You know, he really didn't work the steps. He really didn't do the things that he needed to, to be a strong person. And, you know, the first time there was like a little waiver, easily predictable. Yeah. Still disappointing for him that, that he's going to have to go through some more shit, you know, in order to get his, his life going in the right direction. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, I, I really had hoped, I mean, when you see him fixing the trailer ceiling and you see him, you know, like putting himself into all this, there's nothing but good feelings towards all of that. That's what's kind of tricky about it and why it would be easily missed is like, oh my God, it's so great. He's like fixing things up and he's taking care of his uncle and all this stuff. But it's like, yeah, but remember you guys, he's actually supposed to be attending meetings. Yeah. When's the last time we saw him go to a meeting? When's the last time we saw him, you know, actually take care of himself or address any of the issues he's actually going through like a really long time? You know, he's been going to Vietnam, taking these trips, but not going to meetings, not talking to a sponsor, not, you know, not doing the things that you would think he would need to be doing. Well, there's a certain amount of Kevin turning into Jack in this in this episode and 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 uh, this season. Jack himself had a relapse. He had the love of a good woman, and that helped, uh, obviously, with she 
took him to the meetings herself because she wouldn't let him just sink into nothing. I think that's where when you were talking about the tongue and groove fence portion. The of, flashback with the two yeah. Pearson brothers. So when you were talking about that, I loved the concept that that tongue and groove, that idea that like, you know, sliding perhaps these generational stories over one another, like actually creates this like stronger, more full understanding of characters. So like, for instance, you have Kevin who were like, if you just had him alone and you didn't have Jack as like your tongue and groove, you know, character to say like, oh, but I do understand and I do see what rehab actually takes because they've shown us in a previous season the steps of rehab. So even if you had no understanding of what it looks like to be an addict and try to get clean, they showed it to us. You know, you got to go to meetings. You got to work the steps. He had his workbook, remember? Yeah. They've never shown that with Kevin. And so they overlapped those stories in a way that like allowed those both of those characters to be like a lot more full for us. Plus, you get this neat um, scene or visual type uh, symmetry with things like Kevin and Rebecca in the flashback, Kevin and Rebecca in the current timeline in their own little mission together. You have Kevin fixing the ceiling. That's not how leaks get fixed, bro, but okay. I mean, there's <laughs> obviously something else on the roof, but I, I, that's neither here nor there. Right. But then you have Jack fixing the fence with the idea that Kevin is kind of molding himself after Jack. It works symmetrically. For the good and the bad. Right. Right. The yin right. and the yang of it all. Right. Yeah. Like he he's bringing both the good and the bad of Jack along to the next generation, which is, you know, complicated. How do you feel like this Nikki story is going to ultimately resolve itself? Because I feel like with this two parter, you know, we have been building all the way up this entire season to this. And, you know, his dismissiveness of the family doesn't actually feel like an ending. Having not seen anything beyond Beth's episode, my my guess is that it won't get out of Kevin's mind all that easily. He's going to kind of obsess about it. That doesn't necessarily mean we're going to see Uncle Nicky every week, but- Not I, at all, not at all. I think we're going to see him again this season because he just won't be able to leave it alone, even though Uncle Nicky may only need small doses. <laughs> right, of like Pearson right. encouragement. right. One of the things that I thought about about what Nikki represents for Kevin is this concept of wanting to connect with his dad so badly and to essentially have Nikki reject him and this sort of entire season for season of him traveling and digging him up and finding him and getting his siblings and going there and all these things for it to ultimately not be, at least at this point of the story, a happy ending. I mean, I think they did a good job of giving him a good reason to feel like a failure and feel like, you know, I just can't get it right. Hitting the bottle right. or whatever is just like, okay. You right, know? right. Fixing the ceiling is sort of like a consolation prize. Well, it's the least I could do. Well, and and interestingly enough, though, I think, I mean, if you want to dig deep, if you want to go all like English, you know, 101 here, he's fixing the the cosmetic part of the ceiling. That's what you're kind of laughing about. Like there's a leak that obviously caused that ceiling tile to be damaged, right? Yeah. You just replace the tile. Like you said, you're like, haha, bro, that's not how you fix it. Correct. He isn't actually fixing the problems underneath. You know, he didn't actually fix the leak. He didn't go up on the roof. He didn't do those things. This is all sort of like this surface mending of of the past by trying to find Nikki, but it really ultimately didn't fix 
you know, the underlying problem. And and you're right. I think not not unlike the stain on the ceiling tile, I think Uncle Nicky's going to reappear. <laughs> well put. Well, that was like my summary of the entire episode. A plus. <laughs> Thank you. OK, so let's get into what Kate and Randall were up to. I thought that they had a really interesting little theme with them because I find this to be so true of families. Yeah, they had their own little Mandela effect going on. They truly did. But let's start off with the then, which is when Jack is at the house and He's kind of needing his alone time. So he does what all of us parents accidentally do, which is offer a whole bunch of freedom to kids who don't don't deserve it or have the responsibility level to handle it so that we can just have some blessed alone time. I mean, by telling the kids to order the pizza, then they order the pizza and then you don't seem to like their pizza and then you yell at them. This is... I think it was about the mess that they were making in the living room. Yeah, it was and very messy. To be fair, I mean... They're a little old. That's a little six-year-old kind of move to like, why would you set up on the coffee table and all that kind of stuff? Like they would, I mean, like 10 and 11-year-old, however they're supposed to be, you would really most likely have the sense that you have like glue and glitter and crap and like probably take it to like the kitchen area, you know? See, let me let me let you in on a little dad psychology here because that's very key to these, this portion oh, of the hear. flashback. Yes. Sometimes... And, and I think probably dads probably do this granting of freedom to kids that don't deserve it more frequently than moms. And then the kids fucking sabotage you by doing something <laughs> like this pizza slash Valentine Sequence mess. Party. You feel betrayed and like you're going to get in trouble with your wife because- There's sequins in the freaking carpet. They will have done something that you trusted them to at least act like they still had brains- and then, but it turns out they don't. You just, I mean, there's a lot of like anger and betrayal and like, it's not, even though it's your fault, what happened, whatever they did that was the fuck up is actually your fault. But right. you, you wish things would have just, you know, gone a little more like you had in mind, but, but it doesn't turn out that way. See, I think that, that, that if you take that little bit and you make that like a bigger, fatter analogy, I think him coming back from Nikki and that going so poorly and you look at how he spent his entire life trying to protect Nikki and keep him on the right path and, and more than anything, just make sure he's okay. Right. And that, ended badly. You know, he wasn't okay. And then you have this tiny microcosm where you're like, okay, kids who I'm responsible for taking care of and protecting and making sure you're okay. I'm going to leave you for two seconds so that I can process myself about this other person who I tried to protect and do all this stuff for. And I come in and well, no one's, you know, this isn't life or death. Again, like you said, you fucked it up. The kids fucked it up. And you just get that overwhelming like, I can't do anything right. I can't raise these kids for to not like act a fool. And I can't I can't save my brother. Like, ah, and that's where you get the like smash of plate up against the kitchen wall. Totally understand that. I mean, and I know I was on Twitter and I and people were like, gasp. In no way does Jack's behavior here tarnish what I think of Jack. I mean, I know that people are criticizing him for uh, shutting out his brother, then then the plate throwing is some sort of like vile outburst of violent activity or something like that. It's okay. I mean, otherwise he would have no emotional lows. You know what I mean? Yeah. He would just be Atticus Finch all the time. 
Yes. And and I think you're right. And I think that that showing that frustration and showing that loss of control, that is what happened. He lost control with Nikki. He lost control with the kids. I mean, one's way bigger than the other, but it's like this loss of control and it just like manifests itself and throwing that plate. And he again, you know, recognizes that if he was a bad guy, he would say fucking kids clean it up and leave. You know, that's what a bad guy would do. But a good guy says, uh, you know, it slipped. I'm sorry. Let's move on. Well, you know. and yeah, usually having, having, I've never thrown a plate, but I have punched a wall. Yeah, punched a wall. <laughs> and More uh, than once. when you see that hole in the wall and you think, I don't know how to fix a hole in the wall. I'm going to have to get somebody to fix a hole in the wall. Then you're like, well, that was a bad decision. I'm <laughs> sorry I did that. Right. And, and I think just about as soon as he threw that plate, he probably felt about the same way, like, now I'm kind of embarrassed. I mean, I... It was a big scene in front of his kids. Made a scene in front of my kids. I bet he felt that exact same way because he is a decent guy. Very much. Um, so he does try to save the day by going back in and having this sequence fight. I thought it was fascinating how Kate and Randall decide as adults to go back to the old house. Have you ever done that, Paul, where you like find your old house and like ask the people if you can go in? Never. So I have. And it's super interesting. I've done it at two different houses. People are normally really new, cool about it. And like I got to see my old room and what they did and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't think it was odd at all. Now, you said to remind you that you thought something was weird. It was mostly tied up in Randall's behavior. A, it was just weird that they've never done this before. Sounds like they've never driven by the old house. Okay. So I guess I guess I guess I understand that because there's a great tragedy that happened there and why why revisit it if you weren't ready for it, and maybe they were never ready for it. There's a lot, a lot going on in their little minds about the importance of this house in their, in, to them in their whole lives. But these two get very tied up in sequin fight. Just sequin fight. That's it. Sequin fight. We're here to see the sight of the sequin fight. That's it. And then Randall decides in front of this, this family who's having their own issues that day. Yeah, right. That was strange that we had to walk in on a fight with them. He decides to straighten her out in front of them. That's weird, <laughs> right? If you were with your brother and you're remembering no, right, right. some happy memory and he's like, oh no, actually, see, dad threw a plate. It was a terrible day. Well, I think he realized it in standing there. I think I don't think he intended on doing this, but when he was standing in the living room and she was regaling them, in the story. And then he's like, wait a minute, that's not what I'm starting to remember. So I don't think he meant to go through all that exercise in front of everybody. And, and it, still, people don't like to be corrected in front of other people. I, you're doing it right now. Um, but, I, but I feel like that one of the things is that <laughs> Randall specifically, specifically Randall has always had more snap when it comes to how you treat others and especially how you talk to women and and he would have more understanding and emotional like IQ to be able to know, OK, I probably shouldn't correct my sister in front of all these people, you know. Yeah. I, so I'm with you that, again, it just didn't quite match like Randall and like how we thought he might would have talked to her. Like maybe they would have gone in the backyard and talked for a minute by themselves or something like that. I know you're saying that they were just focusing on that sequence fight. But I mean, obviously, it was to tell this much larger story of the idea that you can be. Multiple family members can be in the same place at the same time and have a situation happen and remember it, retell it and store it completely differently. It's a it's a very interesting phenomenon, like you're saying, the Nelson Mandela effect, right? Yeah. 
the whole concept of just like we all lived this and yet how could we come away with such different feelings about it? Now, lots of times it's because people are very different ages or they have very different information that led into that. Like if you're a parent versus a kid remembering it as the parent, you know, maybe what's happening in the scenario where the kid is maybe going to feel scared or anxious or something because maybe they aren't as aware. But in this case, the kids were relatively, I mean, the exact same age and really had had like the same life up to that point. And so the fact that they remembered it very differently. Well, and Kate, um, not that Randall doesn't, but Kate has definitely taken the idolize the dead dad. Right, the sainthood. Right. Randall, he he does too, but not like Kate. Kate's definitely a dad did no wrong ever kind of outlook. I I completely agree. And I'm definitely like a daddy's girl kind of girl. Um, And so for me, I mean, I think that I, you know, I definitely remember like every nasty word my mom has ever said to me, but like my dad, I try to like squelch that like a lot because I was definitely like closer to him. And so like, it's certainly we had arguments, certainly we had bad times, but I feel like I try to keep that under wraps as opposed to I'm like, and that one time I wore that skirt and you gave me that look, like I'm going to remember everything my mom said and did. Um, And I'm going to have no problem bringing it up either. Um, So, Like that time you wanted to buy a dress for a dance and your mom said, here's the credit card, but buy something normal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you must have been standing there for that. Uh, What was that, prom? Maybe Valentine's Day normal, or something. Buy something normal. Buy something normal. Oh my God. Like, my mom. Like you had some sort of track record. My mom record. and her ever-loving quest for me to, like A, very- not be silly. Good Lord, please. Everyone, all the my stuff, she like, have a good day. Have a good day. Look at me. Don't be silly. Like, don't be silly. And for God's sake, just be normal. Just, just do what everyone else is doing. Whatever were you buying before I knew I have- you? Were you like buying like pantsuits with like black on one side and white <laughs> no. on the other? <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I have like a little creative streak in me. And so I had done things like draw on the walls in my room and stuff like that, that Made her real pissed. <laughs> That's what I'm sure. I drew this gigantic, like seven foot tall cactus that I loved. And it was on my wall. I colored it all in and I thought it was fantastic. And because my mom like barely ever came upstairs, I think it took her like a year to even know it was there, especially where it was in my room. It was awesome. It was You're huge. Like, it was what is this? Huge. It was bigger. That? So That's much- been there for a year. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like, how do you not know Senor? Because like, <laughs> he had a mustache. He was a cactus. He had a mustache and these big eyes. Yeah. So I don't know why she would think I wouldn't buy something normal as the punchline. <laughs> I don't know. I think she meant traditional or classy or something. And I maybe would have been a little more daring than she would have liked. But I thought it was a good idea. I mean, certainly all families have had that that feeling of like, I don't remember it happening the same way like like you do, you know? Absolutely. So all in all, I mean, what did we think of Songbird Road Part 2? Because that pretty much wraps up all the characters and what they were up to. We do feel like Nikki's coming back. I don't think that that stain is going to go away. He's going to be bebopping back in our lives at some point. I don't know how or why. We obviously have the huge reveal of Kevin drinking. I appreciate the depth added to Jack. I can't help but feel like it's like a little test to see if they could take somebody that they had all but sainted and see if they can shake you a little bit. And I'm here to tell you, no, no, this didn't shake me. I mean, you would need to show me like he had a, 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 a taste for strippers or something like that. That might, that might, start to change what I think about Jack. But this interesting thing is it's it's not as if Jack hasn't done bad things. I mean, they showed him drinking and driving. 
being very unsafe. They showed him, you know, going to rob a place. Right. Going to rob a place. I mean, it's he is not spot free in any way. You know, I mean, he's got a lot of flaws, um, you know, hiding the drinking from his wife and, you know, all, all the all the different things. He's not a perfect guy. But somehow I think that we can respect him as a man who is trying to be a good man. And mm-hmm. I think for me, that's where I agree with you. Like my respect does not change for him because he has flaws because he has bad moments that's okay because that's where the trying to be a good man comes in you know he fixes the situation he goes back out he apologizes to the kids he plays with them tells rebecca i'm gonna clean it up he is that person and maybe the redemption is more important than the what she did in the first place i don't know how you handle it you know Hmm, good outlook. So yeah, it's the only e- way I can handle it. I, you know, my tagline: I'm gonna repent on my deathbed daily. Repent on That's your. That's my deathbed. freaking plan. I can pretty much do whatever I want because, like, the last second, my breast can be like, "I'm sorry for everything. Blah, I'm gonna die." <laughs> right. I don't know if I have to make that barf sound, or I might just choose to. Like, I could be dying really quietly and easily, just alone, yeah. and then I might just go Bleh, and like stick my tongue out, just to be kind of gruesome, you know. Again, oh. why did my mom not think I was gonna buy a normal dress? <laughs> <laughs> I want you to know that on my deathbed, I'm going to try to hold in the farts. But, <laughs> but right after you die, they're all going to come they're out. They're all going to come You're out. You're going to lose all bodily My last words would be control. like, sorry about this. <laughs> well, uh, you know what I'll say? He died as he lived. <laughs> A fart machine. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Uh, that would just be, it'll be so accurate. And it would. Truthful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that was Songbird Road Part Two. So if you haven't watched Our Island Girl, please hit pause now. Bing. This is Paul. And this is Caroline. And now we're going to do Our Little Island Girl. This is a very uh, unusual, not, not completely unprecedented, but very unusual episode in that it is only focuses on a single character. What makes it unique, of course, is that it is about Beth, someone that has been there since day freaking Uno, but we have gotten so little of her story that the flash forward at the end of last season that tells us about this dance company she apparently runs came out of nowhere. Right. This finally filled in that big freaking fat blank. So let's start with the then. So I first have to talk about the casting of the young Beth and then the teenage Beth. I am absolutely flabbergasted how they managed to do this character after character of finding these people with this remarkable resemblance. I thought at first with the teenager, I thought, is it possible that they are actually doing like some sort of digital remastering of her face to actually make her look more like Beth? And then once I realized, no, we're going to have an even younger one and it's going to be another actress. I'm like, holy smokes. I mean, this is impressive casting. I know you haven't seen it, but the Creed movies have cast Felicia Rashad as the late Apollo Creed's wife. Did you know this? I did not. Yes. The the idea is that Adonis Creed, the Michael B. Jordan character, is an illegitimate son of Apollo Creed, having gotten over the uh, ill will that she felt about Apollo having, you know, a son that, that didn't come from her. 
she decides to take Adonis in and she raises him from like early, like a single digit age up to adulthood. And so she is basically his mom. And so she's been in, in Creed and Creed 2. Why I mention this is that, I don't know, I guess I appreciate the idea that after having been kind of not very active and then kind of on the wrong side of the Bill Cosby fiasco and then Hollywood deciding, you know what, we're going to, we're going to pick up Felicia Rashad and we're going to, we're going to start working her again. You know what I mean? Start giving her work. I don't know. That feels like a honorable way to approach the problem, you know, the situation, like giving her good roles, giving her roles that really match her bearing, such as the mom in this episode. She is almost like Claire Huxtable. On steroids, man. Amplified. Yeah. Right. She she is. is. She, I mean, for all of us who did grow up at the Cosby show, I mean, I definitely feel like she, you know, was channeling Claire and then, you know, when Claire was her most vicious lawyer side, you know, and she could bring that side to the table. I do want to say that I think that Felicia Rashad is a fantastic actress. And so any jobs that have been come her way are because she's fantastic and deserves them. Um, I don't think that necessarily that, you know, anything was given to her. But I think that she brings to the people who are our age, especially that mom presence that like it was already instilled in us. Like she barely had to do anything to even get started before we we're like, I already know and love her, you know, because she's Claire freaking Huxtable. Right. They're not bringing and her I, to play I love her. like uh, a French clown or something. They're bringing her to bring someone. A strong mom. That has, you know? right, a strong bearing that you are not going to fuck with this person. And somebody who was professional and had this very professional life, you know, and work ethic um, that she cared about putting into her kids. Okay, so let's talk about the then in Beth's life. We have- You mean Bethany. Bethany. I know. Was that weird? I could see what was going to come, you know, with the name change, that there was going to be some sort of like, that was my life then, this is my life now kind of kind of shift. I've seen other people do that in real life, you know, where you, you ask, you know, oh, I remember you, you're- Joe and then no, actually I'm Joseph now or whatever. They know. actually did it with Randall. Um, you know, she, he was Kyle. Rebecca went and met up with um William. He said I was gonna name him Randall. And she yeah. changes his name. So yeah. yeah. So it it the the significance of a name is very clear. Right. Which is why I think that Kate's gonna name that baby Jack no matter what. <laughs> the little girl's timeline is all wrapped up in dance. It really drives home that Beth loved dance. The problem was that there were these expectations put on her by mom. Mom didn't believe in dance. Did you, was uh was softball like that at all with you? Um no. I mean there was never any thought that I was supposed to be professional at at, at any of the athletics that I was ever in as a kid and I was in lots of them, but there was never a thought that I was supposed to go pro as I'm a girl, but did you think that, that was a little weird that they put this extra spin, this kind of modern spin? I don't know that it would have been there in the 90s where it was like, I believe your daughter could be the first African-American solo premier right. ballet. As far as I know that that would not have been a thing, but um, but perhaps it would have been. I don't really know. I mean- Did the, it feel forced at all in this story that, uh, to make that a, a thing? It did to this viewer. I mean, 
I because we didn't grow up in homes with parents of, of color or anything like that, I don't know how much that kind of thing is talked about. I don't know if it's realistic that everyone is walking around saying, I'm going to be the first, you know, whatever of color or whatever. I don't know if that's a thing that that happens all the time or or if that was something that happened, like, say, in the 60s or whatever, but maybe is not as common in the 90s. I don't really know. So I don't, I don't exactly want to speak to that. I can say that every girl I knew everywhere took ballet. I took ballet. I was I was on point. I had toe shoes and everything. Like, I mean, I, we went for a long time. I was in ballet for a long time and I am not a ballerina. I was never going to be in a company or anything like that. So it's interesting how far you actually kind of, I mean, I'm going to use air quotes, how far you can get more like maybe how much time you can put into something and certainly how much money we, we have definitely seen that with friends with like hockey or soccer. Uh, varying sports where you're like, the kid is probably not going pro, you know, and yet you spend every weekend and all this money and everything to go to all these different tournaments and everything everywhere. And like, what are the chances that this is actually going to happen? But certainly you and I see that all the time. Yeah. I mean, of all the people that we ever know that have approached children's sports with this kind of intensity that, that you associate with suburban you know, soccer mom stuff. Your cousins are the only ones we know that have ever paid off because they went to college and they didn't oh, just right. go to college. They went to Brown, you know, so. Right. They went to Ivy League. That's a big deal. But everybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> they didn't well, go to it Brown. Just, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think you, I think that for my own household that I grew up in, sports were supposed to teach you a lot of other things. It wasn't ever supposed to be your uh, professional career. Um, it was supposed to be, you know, teaching you discipline and, you know, uh, a whole lot of obviously physical, mental skills that my parents had a lot of put a lot into. I mean, my dad was a varsity football player. My my mom was the foul shoot champion of her high school, like that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, I, I think that there's just we had a lot instilled in us about how important and how um, fulfilling and rewarding sports can be. Now, this is, again, like a whole different ballgame for me, like this level of actually going to an academy. It's a little confusing to me about how this actually all went in terms of like, I mean, I assume she went to school like regular. But I'm not yeah. even positive. Yeah. What's what's uh, odd to you and I about this, because I was in band, but my parents didn't really know what to do with band. You know, like your parents knew what to do with sports because they were in sports mm -hmm. and they knew to expect practice. They knew to, right. you know, what the language was about varsity this and and uh, and all that kind of stuff yeah, that goes along. You clearly did not pick up the lingo. Go ahead. And uh, whatever. And um, both my parents were, were like not all in on band. They're like, well, you like band, so you can keep doing band, but you don't have to practice. You don't have to do shit. Just, you know, just keep doing band if you want to do band. That is not what, what Beth experienced, Bethany experiences as, as a child. It was like, oh, you want to choose this off the beaten path kind of thing? Um, which, by the way, as you were just mentioning, that was her plan to was to was to go pro. There was no mm -hmm. college plan. Right. It was only ballet. That was it. Right. Make it as a dancer or nothing. So ultimately, do you agree with uh, we we just recently found out that her name is Carol, a.k.a. Felicia Rashad. Do, we, do you agree with her parental decree that since you can't 
since you tried to be the best and you aren't the best, now you have to just go to college like everybody else. Do you, do you agree that, that that was the right path? Whether or not she gets to meet Randall and all this other stuff that happened that was good in her life, was that the right call right then? I think given all the other components that are going on in the storyline, the father passing away, the fact that we knew that both dad and mom were having to work extra jobs to pay for this, likely there wasn't going to be enough money to be able to do this anymore. I mean, the whole thing was was supposed to be culminating in this senior show. And it's a little vague to me when her instructor comes over and says, I didn't expect you to be back so soon. It's unclear to me if it was that she would never have gotten a role no matter what if she was there or if it was just the untimely death of her father coinciding with the actual casting of the roles and them just making the assumption that she would not be able to come to rehearsals that they didn't cast her. They left that a little ambiguous. I got what I got out of that was that it was shitty timing for bad news. You know what I mean? Okay, I could go with that. I can go with that. I mean, I do feel like that they had done a good job of laying it out for us that, you know, you've, you're you not hitting the mark, you know, that there's clearly other students coming in who had more talent. And I do think as a mom, I mean, sometimes it can be really hard to have to tell your kiddo like, hey, you know, we, we really tried. You gave it your all, but I think that you need to try something different now. And I think in this case, in this, what they showed us with what our classmates were able to perform and how, like when they said only like two people of the whole thing was, were going to actually become professional. I mean, I got to think you had to go with a plan B. Now, having said that, do I think that she could have taken dance classes still on the side? Could she have taken dance classes at the college? Could she, you know, like, did she have to cut it off cold turkey? Right. No, I think that that part was very unreasonable. I mean, even when we stopped playing sports or when I stopped playing sports, you know, for high school, I mean, still when we went to college, I still played like intramural. I still played like for fun, you know, or then... Even after college, I coached for, you know, for a season for for our town and stuff like that. Stuff like, you know, like, I don't think it, I think you have to kind of taper it off is what I'm trying to say. When you're used to going to practice every single day, I think it would be really difficult to just stop. For our own kids, we've never, we've never needed so far to side on the soul crushing side of the, of the equation. You know what I mean? We've never needed to say yeah, that thing that you loved when you were a kid. No, that's not true. Well, I guess there is the one thing. No, yeah, that's not true. So we had a situation with one of our kids who was absolutely in love with Elmo, absolutely 100% in love with Elmo. And it got to be an age and a stage where this is like completely inappropriate and you need to move on. She was absolutely in love with him. And so we did take her to Sesame Street Place in Pennsylvania, where she formally said goodbye to Elmo and told him how much she loved him and was so in love with him for so many years years and thanked him. They took a picture together. We framed it and put it in her room and she never looked back. Like it was done then. So we did, I mean, and it was hard to do because she did have such a love, but we knew just kind of like Carol, like there's only X amount of energy in a day. You only have, you know, one little path here. At some point you need to be able to take the next developmental step and realize like this is, I can't just stay here anymore. And um, yeah, so we did do it. Was it really, really hard as a parent? Yes, it was awful. It's awful to, to watch her be so sad. But also the picture of her with Elmo, she is grinning ear to ear. You know, she is so happy to have had the chance. So I think we did it right. Now, do I think Carol did it right? Or she was just like, MPS, you don't go to dance tomorrow. Like it's just over right, right now. 
I, I mean, I like I said, I think there could have been some much more reasonable like tapering, but but I guess for the sake of the story and even the personality of Carol of that like rip the bandaid off mm-hmm. kind of personality that she had, then I guess she would say, no, we shouldn't pussyfoot around this. It's over and you're done and we all move on the end. You know, it, I still feel if Elmo ever happens to come up in a conversation, Elizabeth acts like she like Elmo is dead to her. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we didn't tell her she had to act like that. I mean, we just said we're not going to continue to, you know, buy DVDs of his and watch his shows like we're going to get into something else. And so like let's and she happened to get into My Little Pony, which is fine all the way through tweens and teens and whatever. There's plenty of bronies out there who tell you you just keep on going with it. But Elmo had a lifespan and like needed to to go away. You know, it wasn't going to be okay with the other kids. So I guess... I, I really, I, I do see her her logic because we we applied it our, in our in our own lives. It's just uh, our kid hasn't gotten to the to any point later now because we're you know still young parents that to know if we're she can have that Beth moment where she's gonna be like you know what I'm I'm sad that I let that go. When we get to the part about talking to her dad's chair, that is like her. It's kind of like a little breaking point that we haven't seen whether or not. Elmo's going to come back. <laughs> oh, for us? Yeah. I mean, I think I think that we still do allow her to dip back into it in terms of like, you know, we have taken them to the Puppetry Art Center in Atlanta where they got to see, you know, original sets from Sesame Street and stuff like that in a setting that was more grown up than watching Sesame Street on TV. Like she can appreciate and learned how the Muppets were actually created, what the materials were that they used and what was the the actual technique used by the different puppeteers. So I think that like we still allow her, all, all of our children to indulge in these things, but we tried to take it to a place as Beth is in this story to where she's, she may not be the, the professional dancer, but maybe she could become the teacher. You know, Elizabeth cannot stay the little guy watching Elmo, but perhaps she could enjoy Muppets on this other level of appreciating the art of puppetry in a different way. I feel like we're doing a good job. That's all I'm saying. So I guess that the the then timeline ends with... I do want to talk for a second, though. There was a couple of little nuggets there that I thought was interesting. With, okay. like The fact that her name was Mrs. Clark, I thought that was a really big deal to like the Joe Clark... Uh, principal in Lean on Me. And um, that, I mean, as soon as they said Principal Clark, I mean, immediately that's where my head went. Um, you Carol's know, she was pretty close to Claire. Uh, you know, her attitude at school, her her like need to get the kids to be successful, Every, not only her own children, but like how she kept after the kids at her school and continued to want to improve it. That very, felt very Lean on Me, very Joe Clark. You know, mm-hmm. also, I liked I read a little article that was saying that the producers and the casters, the casting department was so thrilled to get Felicia Rashad because she actually helped create a, a scholarship at Howard, which the actress who plays Beth benefited from at Howard. And I think that's a really cool real life little like circle of life kind of moment, you know, where then she comes around and plays her mom. I wonder if Hillman stood in for Howard in in the Cosby universe. I think yes. Right. I mean, I think everything about Hillman, I believe, yes, it totally did. Hmm. That makes sense. Bill went to Temple and that's not historically black college, but Howard is. So that makes sense. Right. So, all right. So then, so we have this setup. I mean, how did you feel about the way that they handled the father's death, like generally speaking, or even the sickness in general, like the, the reveal that he was sick. I actually thought he did a bang up job 
telling kids. And I'm going to actually like put that in my file cabinet for like, you know how I had this cough? Well, it turns out I'm a little bit sicker than we thought. Like that was like a very kid friendly, easy to understand way to say it. And then for mom to be like, he's got cancer, you know, and like mom, you know, like that's so much more severe. I, I felt like they, the two parents were really easy to understand their differences when you saw the, that illness reveal. What they did with dad was they gave us a pretty simple guy to digest, like opposite of mom, carefree, easygoing, has a, looks like a kind of a blue collar job, like a no, bus. he's a cop. He's a cop? Mm-hmm. Are you sure that, sure that was a cop uniform? I thought it was. Was it not? I'm not guaranteeing cop. That could have been bus driver. That could have been oh, security shoot. I, I, guy. Maybe security. Um, I was really leaning towards police officer, but okay. Hard to say. I didn't see a necessarily like a big, you know, brass badge or anything. I, I'm That's true. I don't guess that I did either. I liked dad a, a lot. Uh, the reveal part of it fit, I guess. And it kept, kept in, it was in keeping with just making dad like an easy to digest package. It's nicer. He gets sick right away in the, in our story. It's, it's like he was her, her soft spot to land for these kinds of things. He was, he was in her corner for the dance. Yeah. I think that when I think about him, I wonder if every couple has to have this yin and yang or not. I don't, I, I would guess you're more like dad than, um, than I would be. I'm not full on Carol either, but, but I, I I think we're unique in that. I think we have to be soft places to fall for our kids. But if I had to be the spouse to the guy who is always so like, everything's okay. You danced before you walked. And like, just, I would, it would, the fact that he didn't go right to the finances the way that she did on in one way is refreshing you know it's it's lovely that he wanted to be supportive of his daughter and i think that there was like a a time and a place but at the same time if you were mom that's that that phone call came so out of the blue it would feel like who are you even talking to because clearly Beth had not come home and even told them that there was like an audition or mm-hmm. that anyone had been scouting the class. So that would almost seem like a prank call. Like, who in the hell are you even talking to? And it, then that seems very like Aisha's family, my best friend. She'd be like, girl, you get off the fucking phone. Like, <laughs> you do not be talking to strangers and signing up for some school. You know, like, you're a fool, you know? So I, I do appreciate that that is a realistic response and kind of a silly response out of dad to be like, He doesn't know anything about this. And he's like, oh, it sounds wonderful. You literally walked in from work and you've never heard a shit thing about this. And you're like all in. (laughs) Like, What what are you talking about, dad? Like you said, kind of a simple character, you know, just you're supposed to get supportive. And then sick. Encouraging. All right. So then we get our Randall cameo, right? Yeah. So that's so funny to see him. This is like, you know, in science fiction stories when they when they mentioned the idea of decisions creating forks in the timeline, right? right? Where one takes you one direction, one takes you the other. This fork took us to Randall and and set that whole life in motion. Can I blow your mind? What? Forks in the road happen not in sci-fi as well. Yeah, but no one, no one takes, <laughs> takes any time to explain how cool they are for the purposes of like parallel Dude, universes. Dude, are you kidding me? Ripple effect? God, anybody who can't be like really wowed by that, you need to you need to find your inner child and like find your wonder because it's it's insane how paths cross. Yeah, your wonder sucks. Wonder blows people. Okay, but how about this? What did you think about the moment when she's all Bethany? Er, Beth on her little name tag. There was a girl who was an intern 
at my job, like say 10 years ago, she told us her name was Lindsay. It was all over her, her like uh, resume and she put it on her, her desk and Lindsay, that was her name, Lindsay. Okay. Work with her a little while. Actually, her name is Lindsay Beck. And then we find out Lindsay knows one of our babysitters. And I say, what do you know about Lindsay? And she goes, oh, do you mean Beth? And it turns out that Lindsay had gone by Beth her entire life and had just changed it for the job where I worked. <laughs> so I yeah. have seen it. Yeah. And we've seen other people do that too, right around college time too. I feel like people decide, you know what? I'm not going to go by that anymore. And you know what? I, was, I actually feel like she is a total Beth. You know, I feel like, plus I kind of feel like, you know, it's a little bit like your sister who goes by, was Katie, like as a little kid. Yeah. Um, But like the second I met her, I was like, your name is Kate, like to me forever. And it like, even in the story, like our Kate in the story, she goes by Katie girl, Katie, Katie all the time. But as an adult, they only call her Kate. Nobody calls her Katie. So I kind of feel like Bethany is, feels a little Katie-like, you know? It was like, fine when you were little, but like Beth suits her as an adult. Well, since it comes from mom, and mom is mom's so stuffy and uptight feeling, it, even though I might know Bethany's that aren't this way, when she says it, it feels stuffy and uptight. Like, you, this is your personality that your stuffy, uptight mom expects from you, and it belongs to Bethany. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Definitely. Okay. So let's get into the now timeline of Beth. And we have Carol who has unfortunately done this like kind of wild move with uh, some kids coming down the stairs. She kind of banged into the stairwell railing yeah. and and hurts her hip. Apparently this has been a uh, kind of a running chronic thing, right? yeah, issue that she has had. And Beth and Zoe are going to go and visit with her and try to convince her that she at least needs to cut back on her hours or something, which is of course ridiculous. No one can be a part-time principal. That's not a thing. <laughs> so it's kind of ridiculous that they're like, perhaps you could just like go in like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Like nobody does that. It's And, and that was the thing. Like I felt for Carol because anyone who's been a teacher or in any type of thing in that career path, you take your kids home with you in your brain. So the idea of just like just part time in it, running a whole school with like potentially like a thousand kids. No, that's not going to happen. You know, no. So I I enjoyed the um the give and take between Beth and Zoe. I thought that Zoe was really a much needed character this whole time. I didn't really know why we needed this kind of cousin sister position. Like, why couldn't she just be a friend of Beth's? Why did she have to be like related? But almost this car ride and their interaction in the house, I, I can't even imagine what this entire episode would have been like if it was just Beth and mom without that comic relief, without that that back and forth between, I, I think it would have been really- Dreary. Yeah. So I feel like if you kind of worked backwards from here, like we got to get her to where she wants to become a dance teacher. And you said, okay, well, she's going to have this big moment with mom, but it's too serious and too uptight and too, like you said, dreary. We need her to have like a like a third party to bounce off of. Like you could have made the character of Zoe from this episode, but moving backwards, you know, Mm -hmm. and then plopping her into the storyline way back when at Kate's wedding. I thought she was like really important to this 
episode working at all for me. At a certain point, though, she kind of disappeared, right? She did. But the parts that she was there, the conversation in the laundry room, the part where she like gets the weed out from behind like Mama Joe's whatever, like picture and yeah. all that stuff. I mean, she just added that much needed comic relief. And she's the one that provides the info that Beth actually got laid off. Again, that wouldn't have happened, you know, and mm. we got to see Carol's reaction. Oh my God, this is so my mother's reaction. This is so my reaction. You guys, I would have absolutely been up at 3am being like, first things first, we need to go. go to, we need to go to Staples. We need to get you a, some good paper to mail out some resumes like that. A hundred percent. I've done that to you. Back in pre-internet days no one gets to eat lunch until you get a job that's exactly what i said y'all i was like no one is eating lunch <laughs> because they got him and his sister were farting around <laughs> in the kitchen i had two jobs and these two dingleberries had no jobs and i was like you two are getting a job and they were like but we're making lunch and i'm like no one's having lunch <laughs> until you get a job and guess what what happened uh, you both got fucking jobs man well we got lunch too and lunch afterwards but First jobs, jobs. So you were wanting to talk a little bit about um, about that conversation with dad's chair. Yes. You know, it's, it's interesting that Carol still has the chair and the macrame there that obviously has been vacant for a freaking long time now, 30 years, maybe not 30, 20 years, 20 years. Let's go 20 years. Still, that's a long time. 25 probably. Yeah. Yeah. But she remembers it as, as it's like her stand in i guess for dad it's very like archie bunker's chair mm -hmm. very like i mean it's like just iconic i appreciated that carol did leave it there i i do there was a woman on twitter who said that when her father passed away that her family without discussing it with the kids at all opted to sell the house and all the contents without saying anything the following week hmm. so i thought about that and i was like oh that's a my choice god I mean, but to have, I mean, oh my God, you know, that's insane. But I thought the, the conversation with dad's chair, it felt fulfilling. I did feel like when they had the, the, the flashback one and she says, dad, and she turns and she clearly doesn't say, I love you. That's how that conversation should have ended. Doesn't say it. And so then when she's having this sort of fictitious conversation, I honestly thought she was going to say it. She doesn't, but I really thought she would say like, thank you so much for encouraging me. You're always there for me kind of thing. I love you. And like, that would have actually been like, ba bum, like close the door. The point of the conversation wasn't about loving dad though. It was about forgetting dance. Right? right. How he didn't want her to, but she did. And she turned out okay anyway. But now that she's turned out okay, she's not really cool with forgetting it anymore. Is that, is that kind of the, the sum of the of the conversation. Yeah, I would say. I just I still I think that the that the root of the conversation was that dad, you know, had instilled this encouraging supportive light in her, you know, and that the she, air. The air, exactly right, the air. And um I thought that that was really nice actually that Carol described him as that because I do think that that's what, you know, a good partner is, you know, when things are going so badly and you, you know, the air comes back into the room when that supportive person comes in it's everything. You know, it makes you feel alive again. It really does like give you the energy you need to keep going. You could see where they, you could compare this version of a woman losing her husband versus Rebecca losing Jack uh -huh. and how both sets of teenagers, and they were both teenagers, like Beth lost her dad relatively the same time Randall lost Jack, really. Yeah. How the teenagers were very judgmental about the ways that the widows 
handled their grief. The, you know, um, the Pearson kids didn't think Rebecca was doing the right thing. And she was kind of wallowing, really, honestly. She kind of zoned out and Kate blew up and Kevin started drinking and all this stuff. Like she really checked out. We're on the flip. Carol, she's like zeroed in on the kids and is like taking more control over their lives and is not going to let them get off track. And so it was an interesting juxtaposition there because the mothers handled it differently and the teenagers were equally judgy and pissed by what both mothers chose to do. Like nobody grieved right <laughs> as far as teenagers were concerned. That's a good point. I totally miss that. That flew right over my little my little brains. But yeah, that's exactly right. She said, I needed, I, you know, I didn't want to wallow, but I needed some time. Whereas uh, Rebecca gave, I, I mean, she until, was too involved in her own feelings. Right. Basically until Miguel came in yeah. on the scene and like brought the piano and brought music and, and tried to try to breathe, bring some air back in essentially, mm -hmm. which is what Miguel, you know, could offer. But I think that, I mean, obviously there's a key difference in these two things. I mean, with Rebecca, Jack was not sick. This was not expected. This was not like a, you know, something. And especially even even when it actually did happen, you know, she had just gone to the vending machine. Like, I mean, this was a tragedy strike kind of moment. Whereas with, I believe his name is Abe, um, you know, they he had been coughing. They knew he was sick. They went to the doctor. It was diagnosed. That's he went true. downhill. He had the oxygen tank. There was a lot more time for probably them to have talked for them to have said their goodbyes to one another, for them to have said things they wanted each other to know, were like Jack and Rebecca totally didn't have that. You know, I mean, she literally just walked out of the room and he was gone, you know? Right. So I, I do think that that's another like very important part to note and probably why Beth, while definitely sad, was able to go back to dance and back to trying to have a life maybe a little better than like how Randall and Kevin and Kate handled their father. You know what that I've been thinking about with this Beth storyline? What have you been thinking about? This may be controversial. Oh, let's hear it. I kind of wish that they would have given us this arc for Beth starting in place of like completely remove the entire Deja storyline. If they would have just, at the moment when they were going to start dicking around Deja, if they would have just moved this Beth thing to that point, I mean, because that would have been halfway through second season or so, right? Or maybe even sooner than that. Um, right, right. Like a little earlier than that. Yes. Right. And they, this is the, this is the middle, this is after the middle of the third season. I just read somewhere that this is only going to be like a six season show. Mm -hmm. So we're like, Almost to the halfway point and the most solid. No, we are through the halfway point because this is season three. So the the end of season three would right. be would right. be the, okay, right, the right, right, halfway. Right. So um, this is the only other adult that, except for maybe Miguel, but we get a lot of Miguel from Jack's backstory. Right. So this is the only other adult that we didn't get like a lot of information about. We just kind of had to take them as they were, even though the whole, you know, the way that the show works was not taking people as they were, but showing you how's, how they've been and, you know, how they were between then and now and all these other parts. But Beth, we just, you know, she, she didn't get her due until now. So yeah, that's my thought is that I would have liked this just instead of Deja. Just but then do out. you think that people would have felt like, I mean, you couldn't throw Deja on after this. Now, I'm with you wholeheartedly. The Deja story was unnecessary for me. And I enjoy this show, but I would have rathered a five-season show 
skip the dejas, skip the boring parts that for me just weren't, there wasn't enough to that. You know, I mean, I feel like it, and maybe it's because we review shows. And so it's like, we don't need to be beat over the head with stuff. And we are watching it with notes and stuff like that. As opposed to if you were just a casual viewer, you know, maybe the Deja story doesn't bother you or that we haven't hit Beth yet because A, maybe you're binging it. So you didn't wait three years to hear Beth's story. You only just waited like a weekend yeah. maybe to get through the stories. Um, so that's one part to think about. And then the other part is Deja's story didn't resonate with us, but there were certainly audience members who did feel like that she represented them or their story or where they came from. And so if we're going to do a this is us, you know, there's going to be parts that it's not you, but it is somebody else. But I'm with you. I mean, Beth feels like a like a pillar of this family, uh, more so than sometimes I feel like Kate is. You know, I, I want to know a hell of a lot more about Beth and Randall's story than sometimes I care about what Kate's up to or something. You yeah, know? yeah. And so, I mean, that's very telling for me. Beth and Randall have been the most compelling two characters. And I, I wish I could put my finger on exactly why, besides the fact that they're just straight up fucking cool. You know, they're just cool. They're people you want to be. They you know? talk like how you want to talk. They and... dress like how you want to dress. They live in a home and have like cool cars and cool everything. Now, I know I understand that our lives are kind of falling apart, but I point this out to Paul and you guys as audience members, I really want you guys to noodle on this. So the number one reason why people get divorced is money problems, right? People yeah. fight about money. That's what they say. That's what they say. So- I find it fascinating that we have gotten to this point of a this is us, meaning this represents all of us and what we're all dealing with. And nobody has had an issue with money. Kate doesn't work, but these little piddly jobs every once in a while. Kevin, yeah, he had a movie. That's true. And yes, he probably gets many residuals. Miguel and Rebecca have a beautiful freaking home. Off of Miguel's what? He worked for like a one-man like operation. Like where's he getting some big-ass pension or something? Right. Rebecca didn't work to have any money. I understand that Randall and Beth, we can pretend like they invested like nobody's business, but they also have a gigantic, beautiful home and like a fantastic car that they paid cash for. They have They own a building and no one works. <laughs> <laughs> like how in the This Is Us universe where I would say- what would you think? Probably 90% of the population looks at their bank balance like daily. Well, How is it not like a huge issue? With owning that building, I mean, perhaps they make some money off of it. I don't know. They're, they're always having to fix crap, if you ask me. How much do you think that they're like charging a premium? No, I, I don't think the point of the building was to upcharge people, but uh, yeah, you do need to make some money off of it. To so keep perhaps it perhaps they are making some money off of that. I don't know. But I, it's just one of those things that for me, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly where they're going with Beth with this. I, I was surprised when she went into the dance studio. The dance studio yes. And she actually started dancing. Um, I thought that it was very clever editing, although from what I understand, the actress is a good dancer, um, but I thought that they edited in such a way that like, yeah, I mean, I could have done the same moves that she did and it not, you wouldn't have known whether I was dancing right. or not dancing. I thought that we got some good closure with that storyline in terms of her deciding to take this next step to teach. Now, the thing is that she's been away for a really long time and she does have dance training. True. But being trained in something and being able to teach something, 
I feel like are very different things. For sure. And so, I mean, as a teacher, I always take a little bit of umbrage when someone's like, you know what? I'm just going to teach. And you're like, oh, are you? I mean, it takes some talent, you jackass, to get people to listen to you and pay attention and whatnot and actually have like the, the technique and the skills to teach somebody else. I work in a training department. It comes up all the time. I'm sure it does. And, and it's, you know, I'm sure you have, a, this is a good example. You have subject matter experts, which mm. she may be in dance. That does not make them a good instructor. Right. They may be very knowledgeable, doesn't make them a good teacher. So, you know, I, I always feel a little bristly when someone says that. Um, but I do think that Beth is very charismatic. I do think that it's reasonable that she could, I hope they take like a little half step where she maybe perhaps is like an apprentice or something first, something where she like kind of gets her feet back wet again. I really hope she doesn't start next week, like in front of the class as like the premier teacher of the school, because I'm not feeling that at all. We've seen the future. So we know she will become a teacher. We have the suspicion that she goes all in. Right. And probably and purchases the whole school. That's my what I was going to say. In the after show, even though this episode showed a completely 100% supportive Randall smiling and without any problems in the after show, Susan was like, so we're going to see how this affects their relationship because up until now, Randall has always dove into his passions without any kind of check from his spouse. And now that Beth is going to do it, we're going to see how he reacts to that. And, um, so that was a little glimpse mm -hmm. into what's coming. It might not be smooth sailing. The future thing that we saw suggests that the two of them aren't really together. That's what it says. I mean, everybody's done the I spy and says, you know, he's wearing a wedding ring. Doesn't mean it has to be a wedding ring with her, but, you know, he is wearing a wedding ring. It's and clever uh, Clever dialogue, the way he says, like, oh, have you yes. called your mother? Not like, have you called yes, mom or, or yes. something like that. And it's, that's very formal, not the way he would talk language about her. The other thing I want to say about closure on this one is that I really appreciated that they took the time to have Carol and Beth talk out their issue about the dance situation and actually have Carol say, I'm sorry. Because I think that that's something as parents, and I'm going to think about a different group of people who are maybe watching whose kids are maybe a little older than ours. Say say someone's 10 years older than us, okay? Their kids are 26 or something, right? Maybe 36, whatever. And they're watching and they're having that little gnawing feeling like, I did take that thing away from a kid or I didn't yeah. realize how important that thing was. Yeah. And I thought that this was a really good like roadmap, a little blueprint for those audience members who thought I am actually more the mom, not the kid. And I really, you know, I never saw myself saying I'm sorry about that, but I kind of feel like if Carol can do it, maybe I can do it, you know, and that that felt good. Like, okay, I hope some people get mended out there in this world, you know? That's what makes her an improvement over Claire Huxtable. Claire would never apologize. I do not believe she would. I think she would go, child! <laughs> like, right. I think she'd full, like, full, like, attitude mom that like she does not have to but i think that comes with age that's what i'm saying i don't you're not going to find someone who's our age who necessarily feels like it's time for us to apologize to our kids for something not necessarily but i think if this is an older claire huxtable somebody we never got to meet who could look back and say 
maybe I did make some mistakes, you know, and, yeah. and I do apologize for how that affected you. So once again, this is us trying to work through our problems on a weekly basis. I do feel like I hope you guys have enjoyed the fact that we're trying to catch you guys up as quickly as possible with all this weird little break, but we should be right on track moving forward. Who do you think we're going to next? I saw the previews. I saw Kevin and Kate like on a stretcher going to the yeah. hospital. I, I think saw there's a medical emergency. It seemed next like week. Kevin was probably drinking at a party or something. And uh, I, it looked all kinds of crazy. Kate on a gurney was the big image. Do you think that was maybe a baby shower? I'm going to go with a baby shower. They were outside. It kind of looked like there were some balloons and crap. It looked and she was like in a dress, which kind of implies like maybe she was like, you know, wasn't just like a relaxed backyard get together. Um, so that's what I'm going. I'm going with baby shower. This seems about the right timing to have a baby shower. And what more dramatic thing to happen than have some sort of baby mishap at your baby shower, right? That can yeah, be yeah, more dramatic, that's really. Super dramatic. Yes. So ours was at Harry Potter. <laughs> yes, ours was. Okay. So do you think that setting Kate up with this medical emergency now? We have this flash forward, right? With the her. We're going to go see her, right? Uh -huh. now, I'm not ready. The Toby in bed alone. Do we have any more? Like if we're doing the little like move the pieces well, around, are we any closer to figuring out what the future holds? Her is definitely Rebecca. Okay. Because Beth says, I'm going to see Randall's mother uh, in, in one of those follow-up future. Right. Uh, glimpses i think they're trying to manipulate us into thinking that kate's a goner um basically going to the hospital toby's alone right you know, simple math are we being manipulated or are they building up something that's actually going to happen is the big big fat question here do you think kate has this baby at the end of the season is it going to be a preemie i could definitely see a preemie situation happening it seems well, like we're due for a preemie doesn't it <laughs> that's what i was going to say like uh you mentioned that so far the show has it includes things like the Deja, Deja storyline to help include all kinds of audiences. Like, like for instance, with Zoe being a survivor of sexual assault, that's something that um, we needed a little help from a listener to, to, to give us a little additional insight into how she might be feeling and how that it affected her and how it was important to her and, and that kind of stuff. So that's what I was thinking when you brought up that was, well, then we're going to need a special needs person before too long. I, I think you're exactly right. And I mean, as a special needs family, I always hold my breath whenever they are going to try to go down that road because, you know, it's one of those things that TV has a very interesting responsibility in that when they bring forth a special need, typically that special need is not something that is uniformly felt by every family who has that condition. Mm -hmm. And so they're having to kind of pick and choose, how do we represent this particular challenge? How do we present the choices that a family has? How do we present how any given family might make a choice. It, it, it gets into a very beyond sticky, I feel like, situation where you're like, you know, 
every need is a spectrum of needs, you know, and you you just want to do it justice, you know, if you're going to try to represent it. So, but on the plus side, if they go that direction, we all of a sudden become the most relevant "This Is Us" podcast. Uh, we certainly, on the market, we so. certainly do. We definitely have the numbers. What do you say? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com. That's d a l e y review.com. Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us. Please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.